all of us. Everyone at the state's academic medical center. All working together to deliver complete care now and for generations to come. All over the state, including hospital and clinic locations from the Delta to the Gulf Coast. All for one reason, you. The University of Mississippi Medical Center. All for your health. This podcast is a local production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting and depends on the support of listeners like you. If you can, please donate today at mpbonline.org. And thanks. Good morning. This is Southern Remedy on MPB Think Radio. I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart, Professor of Internal Medicine and Pediatrics at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. This is the program where you can call in with any questions that you might have about the healthcare issues that are bothering you right now, or maybe some questions that are lingering from a doctor's visit. Maybe it's a new symptom. Maybe it's a new medication that you didn't quite understand why you were prescribed it. You can call us right now for those answers. The number to call is one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. We also would love to hear from you by email. You can email us with those same questions at remedy at mpbonline.org. We try to get those back to you as soon as we can, but we also like to share those with our larger audience um, as you give us permission to do that, of course. And I'd also like to point you to our website, mpbonline.org. It's a great place to look in our archive for all of our programs, but particularly for Southern Remedy. If you didn't quite catch the end of a program or maybe you came in a little bit in the middle of a conversation and would like to go back and listen to that entire conversation or program, that's the place to do it. Or you can download it as a podcast. So just uh, lots of different ways to get the information that you need. Uh, Hint of spring today. I know we were in that sort of back and forth time period uh, here in the south where we have Spring light weather one day, and then uh, two days later, we have uh, maybe a couple of freezing temperatures. So just uh, keep that in mind. Don't uh, spring into spring too early or prematurely. Sometimes I get that. I'll start some plants or put them outside, and I'll pay for it. They'll die. Uh, Same thing with pets, and uh, certainly for your health care needs, too. If you've got allergies, which we see a ton of in Mississippi, Jackson being one of the top cities for allergic symptoms in the U.S. Uh, Just because of all our pollens that erupt about this time of year in a few weeks, uh, tree pollens will be there uh, in the air. Uh, Just uh, keep that in mind if there's some type of medication prophylaxis like antihistamines or nasal steroids or uh, other regimen. uh, It might not be such a bad idea to go ahead and get that started in another week or so because it'll pop on out in a hurry. Uh, It's always better to and easier to get ahead of those uh, and treat, uh, try to try to prevent those symptoms and those exposures that are inevitable here uh, in the state uh, before you run into problems. Harder to treat on the back end of things, but uh, but I am all for these leaves coming out on these trees and uh, and just enjoying the beauty of the South. Um, It is a great place to live and 
certainly a great time of year to try to get back out. Good news on the COVID front, as you uh, may have tuned in a little bit earlier to our national news, same thing in Mississippi. So our case rates um, uh, last few days have been right around the 1,000 to 1,500 uh, range for the state, certainly a lot lower than what we've seen. Uh, death rates have come down a little bit and also hospitalization. So that's Great news. Uh, still want to, you know, there's uh, actually some CDC recommendations that are going to come out in a few weeks uh, or a few days even about uh, probably masking on uh, how to uh, just some guidelines about how to decrease that. I know a lot of my patients have said, you know, what do we do on masking? Um, what's the, the best thing to do? And, uh, you know, I think, uh, you know, you have to have some judicious uh, decisions about that. And uh, and just a reminder, you know, not all masks are equal. A mask that's certainly a mask that you're wearing that is not completely covering your face, and that includes your nose, uh, that's not going to be very useful to you uh, either in, to prevent the spread of virus that you might have or that somebody else has. Uh, but also the type of mask does matter, and in particular, not so much the material, but the tightness of the fit of the mask uh, can help, too. So, uh, you know, of course, the N or the KN95s, uh, those uh, NK95s, they, they are uh, probably one of the better masks uh, that you can wear, particularly if you're in an enclosed space. But thankfully, good news, we don't know what this landscape is going to look like, if this is truly the transition from pandemic to endemic, which just means it uh, may look something like the flu from year to year. But uh, hopefully we'll have a lot less impact than we have. I tell you, the last couple of years, particularly from the health field standpoint, has been tough. Um, it has been incredibly tough at times. And it seems like just when we uh, got a couple of months of a breather, we had these waves that came in. And uh, it's uh, it's been hard to navigate. Thankfully, we've got lots better techniques and resources to uh, to treat COVID. Uh, but of course, like we mentioned earlier with allergies, always best to prevent it rather than to wait around to treat it. This is Southern Remedy, the number to call right now if you have a question about your health problems or the health problems of somebody in your family is one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven. 672-7464, or you can send an email to remedy at mpbonline.org. Now, I treat a lot of blood pressure in clinic, and I get this question a lot um, from time to time as, as the seasons change and temperatures, uh, you know, change on us. Uh, the question uh, that, that I frequently have from patients is, does the weather affect your blood pressure? There's been a, a couple of small studies looking at this, and for the vast majority of patients, it does not. Now, um, if you are uncomfortable by any means, and that can be discomfort from chronic pain or acute pain that you're having, if uh, you know if you are outside and it's really hot and you come in, certainly your blood pressure is going to be elevated. But as far as like changing or the barometric pressure really doesn't change anything uh, blood pressure related if you look at it over a period of time. Uh, I do remind everybody from time to time, blood pressure changes about 20% during the day and at night. It's usually the lowest in the middle of the night and uh, highest in the mid-afternoon, but it varies a good bit. 
whether or not you have high blood pressure or not, just for everybody. And there are some abnormal variations as well. If you have problems that are affecting your blood pressure like sleep apnea, it can have just the opposite effect, whereas normal, normally it would dip at night. You'd have a non-dipping or it would be even elevated at night from the sleep apnea. So all those are fascinating ways that blood pressure changes throughout the day. But generally, it changes in weather, not really a um, a, a factor in uh, making your blood pressure go up. Now, you know, a lot of people will swear by their aches and pains of the weather coming, just like we've got a front coming through in, in the next 24 hours. But as far as blood pressure, not really a whole lot of evidence to suggest that. This is Southern Remedy. The number to call is one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. Um, a lot of people have been asking about new technologies or things that are out there, particularly for uh, arthritis and the most common cause of arthritis, osteoarthritis. A lot of debate over the years, over the last couple of decades about, you know, what's the best regimen for that? How do you treat somebody who has uh, just wear and tear type arthritis on their joints? And they may have had a previous injury in a joint. They may have, uh, you know, just done repetitive movements over time that have worn that joint space and the cartilage down to where it's sort of bone on bone. We know that... Um, you know, that the less you move, um, now if you hurt yourself, certainly, certainly right then and there you can have, um, you know, you can have, you, you can have some damage to a joint where you need to rest it. But much, much beyond about a week or two, you're going to start to see changes within that joint space if you're not moving it around. So we don't recommend um, bed rest or things like that unless it's really severe uh, you know, severe injury to a joint. But for the osteoarthritis sort of wear and tear, that's not really something that we would recommend because we know that movement of that joint actually helps to preserve the function, uh, decrease pain, and to, uh, to slow the decline of that joint space over time. So movement of joints does help to lubricate them to a good bit, even if you don't have as much cartilage. Uh, so that's just something to keep in mind of one of the ways that you can treat osteoarthritis pain. Let's go to Gail on the line from Gulf, Gulfport. Good morning, Gail. Good morning, sir. How are you? Good. What's your question this morning? Uh, had a CAT scan of the abdomen with contrast, and it picked up the lower lung fields, and it reported that there was round glass. What does that mean? Yeah, that's a that's a terminology that is used, and it doesn't actually mean that you have glass in your lungs. It's just sort of how that looks on a CT scan. Uh, and if you you know if you can envision ground up glass and sort of what that looks like, that's sort of the pattern that is on the on the lungs. Usually, that means that there is an interstitial. Uh, there's different types of or spaces within the lungs. Interstitial disease tends to be. Uh, you know, there's lots of different causes, but it's a little bit different than in that space in the alveoli, the space that normally has air exchange in it. Um, so that pattern could be something that's happening from an autoimmune process. It could be uh, a chronic uh, disease that's affecting that or inflammation in the tissues 
that are in between those air sacs and the lungs. Uh, usually a pulmonologist would be the best person to evaluate that. Sometimes they can go in either externally for a biopsy or we can, uh, uh, or it, they can go in with a uh, lighted tube, a bronchoscopy, where they go down to that area and take a biopsy. Um, but a lot of times, just taking a good history, they can sort of tease out what that means. But ground glass op uh, opacities is a certain type of finding on a CT scan. Is there anything to be concerned about? Uh, you really have to take that in conjunction with what else is going on. Um, now, I think you mentioned, I didn't quite get the first part, but it sounded like you had a CT of the abdomen and they just picked this up on that lower portion of your lungs because it does go up to the lower portion, portion of your lungs. I would probably, I would follow up with a, uh, you know, with a, a lung doctor about that just to get their opinion. They're probably going to want to do the rest of your lungs just to see if it's, you know, if, if that pattern is there also, and then just take a good history just to see if there's other types of symptoms that might be there, maybe a little bit of lab work. Now, if it's if nothing else is wrong, if your lung function is good, then they may just want to, you know, follow that up in about a year or two uh, with another CT scan. But um, it really depends on sort of what the cause is, and it may have just been some damage in the past that's come that looks like that now. Okay, thanks for your time. I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart. Thanks for listening to the original Southern Remedy podcast. You can get your medical question answered by sending an email to remedy at mpbonline.org. For a regular dose of medical information, subscribe to the podcast using your favorite podcasting app. The doctor is always in on the original Southern Remedy. Join us each week for Everyday Tech on MPB Think Radio. We have an IT expert, a computer repair ace, and we troubleshoot your problems on the phones as well. Everyday Tech, Wednesdays at 10 on MPB Think Radio. Download the podcast now or listen on YouTube on the MPB Think Radio channel. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. Welcome back to Southern Remedy on MPB Think Radio. I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart, Professor of Internal Medicine and Pediatrics at the University of Mississippi Medical Center with you this morning, answering your calls about all kinds of good health care questions and just had a great one about a CT scan. Doesn't have to be along those same lines, though. Any kind of question that you have about the health care of yourself or somebody that you love that's near and dear to you, you can reach us right now by calling 1-877-MPB-RING. That's one 672 We're going to go to William from Lincoln County. Good morning, William. Hello? Hey, William, you're on the air. Yes, I hear that. I I was listening to a news program this morning, and they were talking about some of these new high-priced drugs that they were uh, sending out that these, uh, I don't know exactly what they said that they were, but they were supposedly people that were testing the drugs and saying that, oh, they're so good and what have you, and now they've found out that some of them aren't as good as what they profess them to be. 
like uh, the new high-priced uh, uh, drugs for insulin shots versus the the Humalog insulin. Yeah, there, there's a lot of you know drug. New, just because something's new doesn't mean it's necessarily better. Now it may be better for certain people. Um, but it doesn't necessarily mean it's better than older medications that have been around for a long time. And then the opposite is true. Uh, you know, sometimes you do have new things that come out and um, that may be a lot better or that we find out that drugs have been used uh, in the past that they have had some chronic side effects that we didn't know about until now. So you really, <clears throat> the way that the you know, this is a, there's a multi-step process for the development of these, and of course, all new drugs are you know they're ex- all, most of the time they're expensive. Um, not every generic drug though is cheap. I mean, there's a lot of them that because of the manufacturing process, that the ch- the price may not change very much, uh, and a lot of those are bought by other companies. Um, and manufactured, and you're not necessarily guaranteed lower prices, but um, we have a lot of good ways in the development of them, a multi-step process by which they're tested for two main things. Um, There's other things that go along with it, but the first one is, are they effective? Do they work against a certain thing, whether it's, as you mentioned, if it's a type of diabetic medication, does it help to lower the uh, blood sugar appropriately, and maybe there's a, a secondary positive effect, like does it decrease the amount of uh, heart disease uh, by treating diabetes, or does it decrease the effects of uh, diabetes on the kidney? Uh, so there's all kinds of things that are looked at, and you can't really, you know, that's not a quick thing. That takes time, usually months and sometimes years, depending on the medication. The second thing that they test for in those uh, in those studies is the safety. And, of course, the first safety measures are usually in, with animals, um, with animal tests first before they test them on humans. And then um, they have <clears throat> some other tests that they look at, and they also look at the dosages of it. So what are the most effective doses and are there any side effects with those doses? So there's lots of really close monitoring. I've been involved in some of these trials in the past, uh, particularly with blood pressure medications, um, and I know they are very rigorous. Um, if there is a potential side effect, even if it's not attributed to the drug, you have to report it, and it gets investigated. So it's a long, laborious process of doing that. And then if once they're approved, there's still some monitoring, and there's several different ways to monitor medications like that for the consistency of effect. Um, if, uh, you know, the more and more that people use them, the more you get better data on that. So I think your point is right. There are some medications that aren't as useful anymore just because they were for 20 years. There may be some other things out there that are a little bit better. In particular, is it as it relates to diabetes, there's a lot of diabetes medications out there. Um, you know, the insulins, there's all kinds of different ones. Basically, there are short, medium, and uh, long-acting insulins. And for each individual person, that might be appropriate for treating their diabetes. And then particularly for type 2 diabetes, there are oral medications that you can take that are very helpful um, that aren't insulin-based, that um, that have some other side effects. Some of the newer ones, too, uh, some of the newer classes actually show some really big benefits 
in decreasing the risk of heart attack, which is a whole lot more once you're diagnosed with diabetes and also the progression to kidney disease. So I think your point is right, um, William. They're, they're, you really need to trust your doctor, and uh, hopefully they have done the research on that and not just listen to somebody say something. You know, keep in mind that what you hear through the TV, uh, particularly if it's in an advertisement, that is just what it says. It's an advertisement, so they want to sell that, and uh, sometimes that information is good and sometimes it's not, but you need a good medical professional to try to interpret that for you and have those discussions. Yeah, I've heard that uh, some of those are just trying to get the patient to ask the doctor to, what the, is it better for me or not? Yeah, you're right. We call those uh, direct-to-consumer advertising. In other words, just what you said, like those, the company will put the ads out there, not to the doctors but uh, or whoever's prescribing it, but straight to the patient so that they might bring it up. And sometimes that might be appropriate. I mean, I've had some patients that said, hey, I saw this certain medication on TV. Do you think it'd be good for me? We've had a discussion. We've looked at, you know, the pluses and minuses of it, and we ended up getting on it. In other cases, I would, you know, I've had conversations and looked in particular at that individual patient and said, you know, this may not be the best thing for you. And I would say, too, you know, Discussing the cost of medications, because particularly when you're talking about things like some of the chronic diseases like diabetes, it is um, really expensive, and a lot of them are really high. And, you know, I, I try to, you know, we're, we're lucky enough to have a pharmacist in our clinic with us to help uh, look at those kinds of issues, depending on what the insurance of the patient is or if they're paying for medications out of pocket and try to take those things into effect. Uh, uh, into consideration as we're prescribing it. But, um, you know, the, if if you're going to break the bank, it may not be worth it to choose that medication. It might be worth it to choose another medication over that that's uh, going to be, you know, less costly. So good, good, excellent points to bring up on that. All right, we're going to go to, I think, Adele, um, and I'm not sure if this is the singer Adele or another Adele. Uh, no, this is not the singer. Uh, <laughs> okay. Well, I it's have good a to question. have you on the line. It's good to have you on the program. <laughs> well, thank you. Uh, thank you for taking my call also. Um, I have vertigo really bad, and uh, there seems to be no rhyme or reason to when it happens. Uh, I've been to a couple of doctors, and they just give you an exercise that you can perform at the time that you have this spell. Um, But you're so debilitated, it's not possible to do so. Uh, It's gotten to where um, it can be months, it can be weeks, or just a few days between spells. And they are very severe, and they don't last very long, a couple of hours. But you're incapable of doing anything else, which keeps me from wanting to drive or go further from the house than I need to. Um, I'm going to hang up and let you answer this question, but can you tell me as much as you know um, about vertigo and what I can do to help um, keep from having these attacks? Sure. Yeah, thank you. Sure. I've had lots of patients with vertigo, and vertigo, um, it needs to be differentiated from, from um, 
you know, when somebody comes in, usually they won't say vertigo, they'll say dizziness. And I know, Adele, you probably know this, but uh, our other listeners might not. Vertigo is sort of that dizziness, but it's the room spinning. So that's the key component to that. Um, it's actually things are moving in circular motions. And if you think about going to a, a you know, state fair or a carnival where they have rides that spin you around, and then you get off the ride and you've got that sensation of the of the whole earth is spinning, uh, that is vertigo. And your Adele's ride, it can be very debilitating, very dangerous in certain situations. If you're driving, if you're walking, you could fall, uh, you could, you know, really hurt yourself. Um, now, most of these, thankfully, uh, are self-limited, but in a, a small percentage of cases, they can be uh, recurrent and very debilitating, as she just laid out. One of the most common ones, which is about half of patients um, that have peripheral vestibular dysfunction. So let me back up a little bit to describe that. The vestibular system is the system that helps us know where we are in space. In other words, are we up? Are we down? Are we sideways? Are we moving in different directions? And there's different ways that the brain interprets that. One of the main uh, ways that it does is through the inner ear. So the inner ear um, does two main functions. It helps you hear, and, but it also has these three little canals, and they look like little circular bridges. Uh, if you've ever been out west to Utah, it looks like some of those arches out there. And they're in three different orientations, and they help you uh, coordinate back to the brain where we are in space. And they do that with these little bitty uh, rocks, basically. So they're called otoliths. And they move in this fluid, and they bump up against these little hairs inside those canals. And that movement of those otoliths and that fluid against those hairs tells your brain where you are um, in, in, in space and in your motion. So if there's a problem in that inner ear, that's the most common cause. is called benign paroxysmal positional vertigo. Um, and it is a problem with those little uh, otoliths that are in those canals. And the, the movements that Adele mentioned, there's, there's a, a technique of, uh, of diagnosing it. So there's one thing that you can do for diagnosis, and then there's another, thing, another uh, movement maneuver that you can do for, um, for, uh, uh, for sort of treat it. And sometimes patients can be very successful with that. Now, if you're right in the middle of it, it is, it is sort of hard to do. Um, there are other things that can cause it, though. If, if, like Adele, if she's gone to a specialist that's really, you know, sort of knows what they're doing and they've treated that, uh, they may have even tried some medications um, for vertigo. Meclizine is a common one. Beta histine is another one. Um, there are some other things that uh, need to be looked at. So even though if you have that rotational component, it might be that your blood pressure is getting too low uh, and you might need, during those episodes, that you might need that investigated. There's also, uh, sometimes there's damage to one inner ear uh, from either an acute injury or an injury that happened in the past. Um, So there's lots of different things, even vestibular migraines. You can actually have a migraine that affects just the inner ear and treating uh, like you normally would with migraine medications can sometimes help during those episodes when you first uh, have them come on. So uh, if you've been to an ENT, you might want to check out a neurologist too that particularly that uh is sometimes they're super specialized you know in migraines or in inner ear problems and that might get you some some more help on that but um 
if you've you know if you've sort of exhausted those other things, that's where I would go next. The other thing to think about: those are all peripheral in the in the outside the brain. There is central central positional vertigo. Um, and that that can affect the eye movements too. Like you can have what's called nystagmus with those, and uh, you may need, you know, you, normally I, I would see an ENT that would, you know, that would be seeing one of my patients once they sort of exhausted those things. They may want an MRI or a CT of the head just to make sure there's not a problem inside the brain itself, because uh, that would sort of change how you. Um, how you treat those, but I would go back, bother your ENT or your doctor that should, that's uh, seeing you for that. See if they can maybe broaden out what they're looking at and um, and look for other things that might be causing it. I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart. Thanks for listening to the original Southern Remedy podcast. You can get your medical question answered by sending an email to remedy at mpbonline.org. For a regular dose of medical information, subscribe to the podcast using your favorite podcasting app. The doctor is always in on the original Southern Remedy. Hi, I'm Walt Grayson. You can now listen to the wild, weird, and wonderful stories of Mississippi with Mile Marker. Some of the big names that travel up and down the highways, obviously Elvis and Johnny Cash, and you have Jerry Lewis, Carl Perkins. Join me as we hit the roads of Mississippi on Mile Marker. Johnny Cash suggested that Carl write a song called Blue Suede Shoes. That was all kind of created with Aaron Amory. You can listen by going to mpbonline.org slash radio or by using your favorite podcasting app. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. This is Southern Remedy on MPB Think Radio. Dr. Jimmy with you this morning answering your questions about any kind of health care issue that you might have. The number to call right now is 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. Or if you're not able to call or maybe you have a question later, just email us. That email address is remedy at mpbonline.org. Let's go to Warren on the road. Good morning, Warren. What's your question? Uh, yeah, you might want to address this to Odell if she's still listening or if she ever calls back. I was diagnosed with Meniere's disease in my 20s, and uh, she might want to consider getting an ENG. Mine was abnormal, so they gave me an option because the medicine wasn't really working. I forget what they were giving me, but I had an operation called an endolymphatic shunt. Mm-hmm. And after the operation, the doctor told me that I did have a lot of the white, bony, fibrous material that goes along with the vertigo in Meniere's syndrome that I had. And that solved the problem. So I'll hang up and uh, listen to what you have to say about it. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up. The one of the, that's one of the things specifically I didn't mention, but um, that is in, you know, we we have these groups of possible diagnoses when patients come in with, when we teach medical students and residents, we talk about illness scripts, which is sort of if you hear these certain symptoms, think about this, these diseases. And very rarely is it like just one disease. We try to think broadly enough to where you're like, okay, well, this might be the most likely. A might be the most likely, but we also want to think about B, C, D, and E. And Meniere's is one of those that you have to think about. Um, so uh, it is it is 
classically, it occurs uh, with three main symptoms. One is vertigo, one is hearing loss, and one is tinnitus or ringing in your ears. Um, and that's the classic diagnosis. Um, that's that's pretty young, actually. You know, usually that's a, that's one that uh, that does uh, occur older in older individuals. And even Meniere's disease, if you're really certain that a pa- patient has that, there's some other things too. There are certain tumors in the ear. There's schwannomas. There's sometimes multiple sclerosis or even uh, TIAs that can present this way. So you really have to be broad-minded in thinking about that. Um, Meniere's, thankfully, actually my grandmother had Meniere's. Medication sometimes can help it. Um, It is also terribly debilitating, not just from the, the vertigo standpoint, but also from the ringing in your ears and the hearing loss. And the the shunt, which is a, a lymphatic shunt, so they actually reroute where some of the fluids going in the inner ear, uh, and uh, you really need a, a really good surgeon that uh, is is familiar with doing that. Uh, that can be really successful in a lot of patients, and uh, it's it is a you know fairly invasive surgery that's in a small space. But again, if you have an ENT surgeon that's really uh, accustomed to doing those. Then, uh, then you can, you know, that that can be pretty successful. It does require, you know, to the the testing for it. Um, there are some other tests, like both blood tests and imaging tests, that you can get to. But the the biggest thing, and I I think you know Warren sort of alluded to this too, is getting somebody that is in this area that that's their expertise. You know, I've diagnosed uh, a lot of patients with Meniere's disease and treated them first line, but. Usually, if I'm not, you know, I'm not a surgeon. I don't, I, you know, do operations on people. But if, if it doesn't get better with one or two medications, particularly in this instance, that's the point where I'm probably going to send somebody to a specialist, and that's either an ENT or a neurologist that has some expertise in these areas, and they can go that one step further. So, Warren, I appreciate that. Um, that's certainly something else to consider, and uh, glad you had a good outcome too. It, it's a uh, certainly a lot of people are sort of uh, scared of that surgery. But if if you've exhausted all of your other options, uh, that surgery's been around for a long time now, and there's some really good surgeons out there that can give people some some relief. So thanks for that uh, that call and comment. We're going to go to Wendy from Long Beach. Good morning, Wendy. Good morning. How are you today? Good. Thanks for calling. Good. I had you just had a caller on who mentioned having Meniere's disease and being diagnosed young, and then. You said something about um, tinnitus with that and ringing in the ears and mm-hmm. vertigo. And I started having really bad vertigo, and um, it turned it turned out I was diagnosed with uh, um, adrenal insufficiency or Addison's disease. Yeah. But mm-hmm. my, my ears still ring. I mean, I take hydrocortisone, so I don't pass out anymore, but my ears still ring. And I'm wondering if that could be something else. Yeah, it certainly can. Um, you know, sometimes we'll, I'll, I'll have a patient come in the office and uh, we make a, you know, they tell me what's going on, I do an exam, do some lab work, whatever I need to do, and then you make a correct diagnosis and you treat it. And certainly adrenal insufficiency is, you know, one of those that uh, it's fairly easy to treat after you diagnose it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but then they, you know, people can also have something else going on. So um, that's, you know, when when you treat one thing, 
that is, you know, pretty easy to diagnose. I don't think that, you know, that something else may have caused the adrenal insufficiency. However, you may have something else going on with your your ears at this point. So, yeah, I would go back and probably see an ENT. And um, you have they done hearing uh, testing too? They did. They I went. Uh, I, I saw every doctor under the sun for a year until they diagnosed me. Um, yeah. But yeah, I've had hearing tests. I've had everything done, and sometimes my ears will just start ringing, and I have different pitches. <laughs> it's crazy. Yeah. Um, and I just I don't know when you mentioned the Meniere's disease. I just kind of wondered. I do have um, what do they call it? Red, white, and blue. It starts with an R. Turns white and blue. Yeah, right Yeah, yeah. And autoimmune diseases sometimes can have some overlap with tinnitus or vertigo in the ear. So, um, I yeah, I'd probably go back to your ENT or or see somebody specialized with. Um, you know, we have here we have somebody who that's sort of their specialty, um, in the, is the inner ear um, and vestibular uh, dysfunction. So. Um, yeah. Yeah, I think now that they've diagnosed, you know, successfully diagnosed and are treating the adrenal insufficiency, they probably need to investigate something else going on that's causing some of those other symptoms. And it may not be Meniere's, it may be something else, but I think they need to investigate it because if it was, you know, and that would be a little odd, adrenal insufficiency causing that unless it was a drop in blood pressure that was causing those symptoms. But now that that's been, you know, addressed and, and corrected, they really need to be thinking about something else. Yeah, I was just, I was just, when I heard it, I was just curious, and so I wondered. Um, and I will do that. So thank you very much for the information. All right. Thank you, Wendy, and uh, good luck to you. I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart. Thanks for listening to the original Southern Remedy podcast. You can get your medical question answered by sending an email to remedy at mpbonline.org. For a regular dose of medical information, subscribe to the podcast using your favorite podcasting app. The doctor is always in on the original Southern Remedy. Hello, I'm Dr. Nancy Lotridge-Anderson, president of New Perspectives, a fee-only financial advising firm and co-host of Money Talks. For over 10 years, Money Talks has been answering your personal financial questions and sharing knowledge about money management. Money Talks can be heard Tuesdays at 9 a.m. on MPB Think Radio. Podcasts can be found on our website, money.mpbonline.org, or on your smart device's podcasting platform. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. Southern Remedy on MPB Think Radio. Dr. Jimmy with you this morning answering your questions about all kinds of things. And I uh, got some good comments from other people who are out there. See if you think that your question is the only person, if you think you're the only person out there that has this issue, uh, you are incorrect. It's a big state of Mississippi and some adjoining areas in our listening, uh, in our listening area. So, uh, that question is probably going to affect other people, and there may be some people that can provide you some encouragement. So just want to thank our listeners for doing that and always contributing to uh, the content of our show because it's always good. Wendy mentioned a couple of other things that she was dealing with in addition to the the ear uh, uh, changes. Uh, one was adrenal insufficiency, just um, uh, 
you know, just to, uh, I know Wendy knows this, but for other people, that's your adrenal glands sit on top of your kidneys, and their main job is to produce certain hormones, and one of those hormones is cortisol. Um, and if they are injured or if they if there's an autoimmune process that sort of shuts them down, they can uh, they can stop producing that. Or if there's something going on in the pituitary gland, which is sort of the master gland in the brain uh, that tells the other ones what to do, then that can affect things downstream. And it can be pretty uh, debilitating. Most people, you know, may be familiar with, uh, it's sort of a wasting disease. If you have adrenal insufficiency, you don't have any energy, you lose muscle mass, uh, your blood pressure can drop, and it can be fatal. Um, there can be some skin changes that are associated with it as well. Um, you know, uh, President Kennedy uh, had uh, adrenal insufficiency. Uh, when most people think he had it uh, just from uh, uh, some of the symptoms and pictures that he had. So it's uh, certainly something that needs to be appropriately looked into and diagnosed. Another thing that she mentioned is Raynaud's, and Raynaud's is a phenomenon where you have a constriction of blood vessels in your extremities, particularly with changes in temperature. So when the temperature drops, you normally get uh, constriction, and that leads to sort of white fingers, and it can be pretty profound, uh, and, and that's just because of decreased blood flow. It tends to be fairly painful when that happens. And then that is uh, followed by sort of a blue color and then a red color. She mentioned those three colors uh, of, uh, you know, American flag, French flag, a couple of others there. Uh, but in that order. So first it gets white, then it gets uh, blue as you lose that oxygen to those tissues, and then it gets red when those blood vessels do finally dilate uh, and blood rushes back into there. So um, there are some, some ways to treat that. Certainly, you know, if, if you're living in Alaska or Canada, that may not be the best place for you with Reynolds, but um, uh, so you you need to warm those extremities up, and that can help. But there's also a um, a couple of medications, particularly the calcium channel blockers, that can help. I have a couple of patients that are on those, uh, and they help to dilate blood vessels, particularly in the winter time. But uh, most people have to warm up even in the south. I've got some patients that uh, during the winter months, they don't get out much or when they do, they bundle up so they don't have these painful changes in their extremities. So, um, and you know, Raynaud's is an autoimmune type process. There's some other things that cause Raynaud's um, and, uh, and uh, that's sort of a downstream effect that causes Raynaud's. But uh, you do need to look for some other autoimmune uh, disorders, whether that's rheumatoid arthritis or uh, other rheumatologic or autoimmune type uh, symptoms. And uh, all of that might be related to some of those ear symptoms that she was having. So uh, just goes to show you, particularly when you're talking about autoimmune diseases, you've got to back up and look at everything and ask all those questions. Rheumatologists are really good at doing that, uh, and immunologists. They really uh, take a very broad approach to it. And uh, unfortunately, there's not just one or two lab tests or even a battery of lab tests that can be useful. You really need to sort of... Uh, order those tests based on those symptoms. So just some things to keep in mind. And uh, again, thanks to all of our callers who helped to uh, broaden the, this knowledge about things out there. And, um, you know, I'm, I am a primary care doctor with a an, an interest and specialty experience in hypertension, but 
Um, you know, I, uh, you know, love treating all kinds of different uh, conditions and seeing patients, but you do also need to be aware, you know, when people need to be referred to specialists who have some further training. So uh, sometimes your physician, including me, may need to be prompted in that direction to say, hey, you know, I really need some help here. Uh, are we getting to the bottom of this or do I need to go see somebody else? And uh, I I like to get to the bottom of the answers and I like to take it uh, to do it from a team approach. So I don't mind at all if uh, if somebody else was looking at my patients to try to figure that out. So you might need to call your, your if you are having some of these symptoms that uh, either have been treated appropriately and they've changed uh, or you've run through, you know, a number of medications, you may want to ask your physician or primary care provider, what's the next step? You know, what what are we going to do here? And uh, if they, you know, are sort of giving you the, I don't really know what to do next, then uh, a specialist might be the person to uh, to see at that point. Um, there are some instances, too, particularly we know that Things like uh, heart failure is best treated by a cardiologist, particularly a cardiologist that's had some training and experience in heart failure. Uh, patients tend to do much better over the long haul. So I tend to, for my patients with heart failure, that's uh, something that I would send them to a heart failure specialist because they do better over the long haul. It's not necessarily that I uh, don't know how to diagnose it or treat it, but it certainly is the best for my patient. So Team medicine is very important uh, and is a uh, a concept that a lot of people sort of resist, but uh, they just want to see one doctor. But things are so complicated these days with all the different um, all the different uh, diagnoses and all the different labs and treatments. In some circumstances, you definitely want somebody who has a little bit more expertise in that. I want to remind everybody again to uh, email us if you're not able to call this morning. I know a lot of people have other responsibilities, and that's fine, But uh, and may listen in from time to time, or they may listen to some of our replays or programs. Email those questions to remedy at mpbonline.org. We do try to get to those uh, as quickly as we can and share those uh, if it's an appropriate one with our uh, topic, with our larger audience from time to time. But that's a, a great way to connect with us if you're not able to call in or maybe you know, you're like, uh, you know, I just really just a little hesitant to do that. Um, do want to mention to everybody, this is a great time of year as the season sort of changed to think about, and with COVID numbers going down, to think about reconnecting with your physician. There may be some things that you need in your health checkup that, uh, that uh, to help prevent disease. Maybe that's some screenings for cancer that you've been delaying. Maybe it's a, uh, you know, even if it's a, a cancerous or a suspicious lesion on your skin and you've been avoiding going to the physician just because of COVID, uh, that might be a good time to go to your dermatologist to have them look at that and help prevent some of those things down the line that can be very detrimental to your health. It's always easier. Again, this seems like the theme of the program, to catch things early uh, rather than to wait and try to treat them after that. And always a good idea to have one person that's sort of your main doctor that uh, that looks into those things and to help navigate some of that for you. And uh, this is a great time, though, to do that uh, to and to see what's best for you. Every person, there's some guidelines, of course, for everybody um, for a good, healthy living. Uh, but, of course, for each individual person, you may have a 
uh, increased risk depending on your family history, depending on other uh, medical conditions that you have, maybe even medications that you're taking uh, may change what we would screen for. So head back into your physician if you've been delaying that. Just want to encourage everybody to do that in a way that uh, is most helpful for you. Thanks for listening to this MPB Think Radio podcast. MPB depends on support from listeners, so if you can, please contribute today at mpbonline.org. Do you drive a vehicle? Then you'll find AutoCorrect helpful, especially on Coach Charlie's Tip of the Week. Listen to our podcast with me, Coach Charlie Melton, on any podcasting platform or on the MPB Public Media app.